Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from our guest speaker. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Good morning and uh, thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity for me to come and address you all. If you would, just uh, bow with me in prayer for just a moment, please. Grace Heavenly Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the spirit in my heart will be pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I gotta tell you, it was a little strange that uh, I'm up here today, and let me tell you the story behind it. Back uh, in November, it was right after Thanksgiving, and if you know Sam and Norma Reynolds, we were out at... Uh, Pedro's, a restaurant just down here, and I had never ordered the Super Taco. I don't know if anybody else here has had that. So when they brought it out, it covered the whole plate. I'm not talking a regular plate. I'm talking a meat platter. So this, again, was right after Thanksgiving. So, you know, I'd enjoyed myself, and quite frankly, since I took the uniform off in 2012, I've let myself go. So in comes Pastor and Mary. He sees that big old taco, and he says, hey, have you ever preached before? And I said, no. Well, how about it on Memorial Day? And I go, well, okay. So I knew that I would not fit into this uniform. So I'm here to tell you that I've lost about 25 pounds and barely have gotten into it, all right? So <laughs> I just have to warn you, those of you in the front, you not only need to stay awake, but you need to stay alert because these buttons here, they're metal and they were sewn on by the lowest bidder. So if I'm to exhale... I could take, well, there's three of them, so you, better, you just better stay awake, all right? That's the best I can tell you. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the memories that they give uh, for uh, those that have departed. I, I appreciate that all the effort that they give in to recognize those have given us religious freedom, because truly, in my estimation, that is the most precious freedom that we have, freedom of religion and the freedom to vote. Many of my friends, colleagues have died uh, protecting that right. And I think it's, it's uh, proper that we honor it today. And I just wanna thank the church staff. They have just put on a tremendous amount of effort to make this a very special day. And I see everyone in here is uh, looking forward to the barbecue out there and what a great celebration that's going to be. Well, let's talk a little bit about Memorial Day. Memorial Day came about after the Civil War. That was our nation's, that has been our nation's most deadly war. And it was amongst ourselves. There's all sorts of uh, people that are claiming to be the first one to do it. But what I've found from my research, actually the very first Memorial Day celebration happened in Charleston, South Carolina. And it was a month after the, the uh, war was over. It was down at the Washington uh, racetrack. And 
that was also a uh, encampment for uh, the Union soldiers that were there. And there were some 300 or so that had died uh, during the conflict while they were imprisoned. So you had the recently freed slaves went to this mass grave that they were buried in, exhumed them and put them in a proper grave that's even there today. I haven't seen it, but I'm told it is. I, I read it. So that was the first one in recorded history. The one that's really kind of, uh, that kind of got things going, there was a General Logan that was a retired uh, army officer and he wanted to uh, honor those dead on both sides. So the first one was in Waterloo, New York. And he was, it was in 1868 in May. And he chose May because the typical tradition is to put flowers on graves. So by May, the flowers would be blooming uh, throughout the entire United States that it would be. It wasn't until 1966 that they recognized Waterloo, New York as the first one. And then in 1971, it's going to be the last. Uh, they made legislation that's the last Monday in May. So that's kind of, uh, that's kind of the history of it. And again, they, they broadened it, not just the Civil War, but from all the wars of all times that you honor those uh, departed while they were in military service. University of Phoenix did a study last year and they asked people, well, how is it that you're going to celebrate Memorial Day? We all know it's kind of a kickoff to summer and there's barbecues and things like that. But they, do you really know what it is? And 48% of the respondents, I think there was about 2,000 respondents, they, they knew that Memorial Day is to, is to pay honor to those that died in, in service to our country. And then Veterans Day is in November 11th, and that's, that's for honor those veterans that are still living. 28% didn't know, couldn't tell you one, one from another. But they ask, should we continue to do it, or should we even do more for, for Memorial Day? 87% said yes, that you need to. So what I'm going to do here today, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, a couple of my heroes, one of which is military and one is not. And then I'll let you know why I'm, I'm talking about one that, that's not a military hero a little bit. So if I could have the first slide, please. This is uh, Chief Master Sergeant uh, Paul Lankford. He passed away back in uh, 2008. I met him in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. He had been retired again, uh, twice, but I was, uh, I was uh, instructor at officer school as a captain. And he was the uh, former commandant of the, of the enlisted national, or uh, the uh, non-commissioned officer course. He was quite a talent. I mean, he was, he was a man that was humble. He was a man that was an innovator. And he's a man that would meet you and never forget your name. I mean, there was no association with me whatsoever, but he met, and, and it wasn't just me, it was everybody you see, he would remember their name. Now, here's what he did when I call him an educational innovator. Those in the Air National Guard may recognize the name, others probably not. And if you look in books, you probably won't find his exploit all that much. You have to search fairly hard. 
But what he did, this was back in, in, in 1968. We were in the Cold War. And back then, the National Guard, you know, they, they didn't mobilize much. They hadn't really been mobilized since World War II. And the, the enlisted had an a, a NCO academy that lasted six weeks. Well, back then, the Guard and Reserve really didn't uh, take off and go and deploy like we do now. It's, it wasn't a common thing to see people taking off and, and going for a year or, or something less and going fighting wars in some place. So he, he was hired by a man, a general officer named I.G. Brown, a uh, Arkansas guardsman that came up to him, saw him and met him in California, Roberts Air Force Base at a graduation for a, 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 one of those schools, the NCO Academy. He was a deputy commandant there because back then you had officers that were the commandants and then the enlisted folks were that. So I.G. Brown, he said, we are getting behind on our professional education. If we're going to be the National Guard, we need to be just as professional as the Air Force. And this man here, he had already done 30 years and he was, he was retiring. But uh, General Brown got away to bring him in. So what he did, he set it up at, they would have classes in two week increments. So guard folks could come on their annual training where they go two weeks a year. They could rotate through there three times and get the, the entire training at, their, at the time that they could get it. And not only did he do that, he was an innovator for the officer school for the Air National Guard as well. It was the same sort of thing that our, our, uh, we had either direct commissions or we had a lower pool of officers because they couldn't get off work to go to officer school. So he took the 12 week uh, course and reduced it to six and had every bit of contact hours. We had all of the uh, physical training and covered all the things. So it was innovative that I don't need to go into now, but he was truly an innovator of both the, the uh, enlisted and the officer school. In fact, the last slide you saw, the, the NCO Academy bears his name and there's some buildings that bears his name in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, there was, just as I was getting ready to leave, they had a, uh, it was a national day of prayer. So it was announced and I don't know, 10 or 12 of us were in the uh, dining hall and Chief Lankford was the speaker. So Chief gets in there and I had heard that he was a survivor of the Bataan Death March, but he never mentions it. This is the only time I ever heard him mention it. Next slide, please. For those of you not too familiar with the uh, Death March, uh, at the time, this was World War II, and Chief Langford was in, uh, in the Army Air Corps. It predates the Air Force. So he was in the 27th Bombardment Wing. And on April 9th of 1942, the American and Philippine forces were down at the bottom of the Bataan Peninsula in the Philippines. And they were forced to surrender. They had some reinforcing troops coming in, but they were coming through Pearl Harbor and we know what happened there. So the reinforcements didn't come and they, were, they had to surrender because they were just outnumbered by the Japanese. So the Japanese marched them 65 miles, which might sound like a lot or not, but here this Bushido code that they have in, in, uh, that they had in Japan is death is preferable to surrender. So they saw them as less than human because they surrendered. 
So you had 12,000 U.S. soldiers and 58,000 Filipinos that's marching up to their internment camp that they had set up for them and then put them all throughout different places in their uh, prisoner of war camps. 5,000 of them died on the march there because they were not fed, they didn't get any water, and if they fell down or they didn't do something they liked, they just beat them. And some of them got beaten to death. So Chief, he did that, he survived, and then he was in a, he was in a prisoner of war camp for three and a half years, so he spent that amount of time uh, in a prisoner of war camp. But the thing that I remember him saying most is, it was the Christians that survived because they had hope. What it, I mean, we, we read about Paul and what he endured and Chief Langford and what a gracious man he was. And he lived till he was 89 years old. But you don't hear that story very often. But he was a, a member of his local church, uh, Kiwanis. But he was retired, but he still spent out a lot of time being out there you could tell that he was a soul winner and he would spend a time always for somebody else to help them uh, be better. So he's one of my heroes. And again, you don't see him out there beating his chest. And another thing that makes him a hero in my mind, he took a trip to Japan afterwards and forgave his captors. How, how many of us could do that after enduring three and a half, four years of that? So what an awesome man he is. Now, the next slide, please. Another hero of mine, granddad. This is granddad Harris, Leonard Harris. That's my grandfather. Awesome man. I, I just, just tell you, we lived about a two and a half hour drive away. So my, uh, my parents grew up in Eastern Kentucky and uh, farmer, I'm the first generation not to be a farmer, but it was a hard time getting uh, very much money out of that, that rocky soil in Eastern Kentucky. So my great uncle, he went up to Dayton, Ohio and got a job at Frigidaire. And so he got my, my dad and a few uncles, they went up there because you could make pretty good money in a factory, unskilled labor. And, and so that's what we did. So I, I grew up in Ohio. So we were about two and a half hours away that we would drive and I would see granddad maybe three to four times a year, sometimes more. But we would go down there to see him or, and, and uh, you see, he died on Christmas day. So that was a, a bit of a different, 1981 was a, a bit of a different day that uh, he passed away. But it didn't matter, any of us, now they had, eight children. So there's a lots of cousins. So he had lots of grandkids and he always took time for us. He was sitting there. He'd talk about the Lord. And this picture that you see here, that's what I would see when I'd get up. Cause you know, being younger, you would sleep in a little bit and he's studying his Sunday school lesson. He was either doing that or he had his Bible out that he was reading first thing in the morning. And then always Sunday, you know that you're going to go to Valley Baptist Church there, a one-room church, and a good portion of them couldn't read the hymnals, but man, could they sing. I'm telling you, it was just awesome music and awesome fellowship that you would have in that, that there might be 30 or 40 people there, but that's where I kind of got some roots grounded and, and, and he was very helpful. But I want to tell you another story that about granddad that, so I, I joined, uh, I, 
I, had, I, I didn't have any military aspirations at all to join. I didn't. That was the last on my list. So I was wanting to go to college. We didn't have the funds. I'm not a gifted athlete. I had bad grades, but I'm still wanting to go to college. So the only option for me, I figured, was to join the military. And that's what I did. So I went in and enlisted. I go see the recruiter and, and it says, well, what do you want to do? I named a couple things off and they said, well, it'd be 18, 22 months before you can get in. I said, well, I'd like to go right now. How's that work? Well, you just go down there and whatever the Air Force needs, that's what you'll be. I said, all right, well, that sooner I get in, the sooner I can get out. All I'm wanting is my college education, that GI Bill, and there I'll be. So little did I know that those that go in that way, you're going to end up being a cop. Again, that was not what I would have chosen, but it was chosen for me. The Lord kind of come there and did that. Didn't matter because I wasn't going to stay in anyway. So I was actually stationed in uh, Goldsboro, North Carolina, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. And they came up, they, all of a sudden they got too many cops. And they had this program, Palace Chase, that you could go finish your time in the Guard or Reserve. I said, well, sign me up for that. So I did. They say you have to give two months for every month you have remaining on your contract. So I get into, I said, where do you want to go? Well, I want to go back home. So I went back to Ohio, got in a unit there in Columbus, Ohio. And they come and said, um, if you sign up for six years, the state will pay your tuition. I said, well, how, how much time I got left? They said, four years, eight months. Right, that's a no brainer. I said, what about this GI bill? Oh, that just goes to your pocket. So I spent only 19 months and one day in the active duty military, then I became an Ohio Air National Guardsman, didn't even know there was an Air National Guard. But it, it's just the way, the Lord has a way of opening doors for you, getting it where you want to go, and he certainly has a sense of humor. I wore the uniform for 37 years. And I, you know, I was just going to get in, get out, and get, so and they paid for three degrees, and, and, uh, and I'm still actually working as a civilian for the Air Force. So God really has a humor making me a cop and, 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 you know, open the door to be an officer. But as Jeremy was talking earlier, as I look in retrospect, God's hand was in each, each uh, step of the way. He'll open doors and you can even walk through it or you don't. I wasn't sure when I walked through those doors what was going to happen, but we walk, I step out in faith and do it. Now, back to granddad. I went to see him and my grandmother prior to me uh, going to basic training. So I, I went to the recruiter, couldn't sleep. I went, signed up on December 12th, 1974. I shipped out on March 3rd, 1975. And I drove, I was 18 and I drove this two and a half hours to go see my grandparents. That's the first kind of big trip I'd gone in my own car. And I didn't do a very good job planning I didn't take enough money with me. Now, in those days, well, first of all, I didn't have a credit card. I think they had them back then, but I didn't have one. I mean, 18 and really don't have a job of any, of any uh, substance anyway. And they didn't have ATMs. So I go to the bank. 
So I go into the bank in Berea, Kentucky, where my, my grandparents live, and that's where they bank. And I went in, and I said, I'd like to write a check and get some cash. And I said, I am Leonard Harris's grandson. Now, you see, my name's West, and his is Harris, so you could, but everybody knows everybody there. And they say, well, who's your mama? I said, well, Edna. So they knew it was legit, or figured it was. And so they cashed my check, and I didn't really want to, yeah, I, I had pride, and I didn't want to ask my grandparents for gas money to go home. So that was it. But the point I'm getting at is even though I could get a check cashed with Granddad Harris's name, Granddad Harris's name's not going to get me in heaven. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that I have to know and he has to know me to do that. Granddad Harris is there today and I look forward to that day I get to visit him again and all the saints that are there. But there's something that I have to do here on earth and it's not to know Granddad Harris. His, his faithfulness will not help me in the least. Next slide, please. Now I want you to know that each and every one of us today, well, let me back up. There's gonna be my mother and some of her siblings and some cousins will be visiting granddad and, and grandma Harris's grave today. They've done that for many years, always on, on the Memorial Day weekend, they go and, and visit. And again, my grandfather was not a veteran. But this is a memorial day to hear to him. I want you to know each and every one of you are going to have a memorial day. The day that you breathe your last will be your memorial day and you're going to be in one of two places. You're either going to be with our Lord in heaven or you're going to be in hell. Here it says uh, in Revelation 21, 1 through 4, it tells those this is going to be a great memorial day for those who know the Lord and Savior. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared and a sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for a husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is, is now among his people, us, the believers. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. All these things will be gone forever. Is that an awesome picture of what? We will be in the presence of the living God who no one has seen to this point. You're not gonna hurt anymore. You're not going to cry anymore. You're going to be there worshiping God and thanking him for what he's done for you. I know I fall short a lot of times of being uh, thankful enough. I mean, that, that gas check or that gas, uh, get my gas filled with the check cashed was quite a, I was very thankful that I do that and I didn't have to go bum money from anybody. But that, we're talking eternity. You know what, you're in a training ground right now. So this training ground is what it's gonna be like for you. So whatever pain, whatever sorrow, whatever's going on with you, if you believe and know the Lord Jesus Christ, then 
that's going to be the end of it. Once you get to heaven, once you breathe your last, then you're going to go to glory and you're going to see your loved ones and you're going to share heaven with all the saints from all, all old. However, if you don't know the Lord, there's another place for you. Next slide, please. This one here comes uh, out of Matthew uh, chapter 7, 21, 23. Says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I, this is Jesus talking, I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. See, every single one of us has broken God's laws. We couldn't even get through the first 10 commandments without breaking those. Each and every one of us has done that. Let alone, he, he demonstrate to the Jews 613 of those laws that nobody can do. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ can wipe that slate clean for us. But we have to know him. I know granddad, I know he's there. And I know he knows Jesus. And I know Jesus and I know that I will see him and I know I'm gonna see granddad and I know I'm gonna see many others. But where it's talking here that if you're going through church and, and you're just, uh, you're, you're prophesying, you're doing everything that you're supposed to, but the knowing is the uh, essential part. So I pray that uh, each and every one of you will, uh, if, if there's someone in here that doesn't know know Jesus that they will today. And I know the uh, barbecue's coming up and one thing that Gateway's uh, known for is not running out of food. So if uh, you wanna talk to anyone about, about that decision, please feel free to do so. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer.